Again from 1 Peter 2, beginning in verse 4. As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. In Isaiah 28, we read, This is what the Sovereign Lord says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who trusts will never be dismayed. I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plumb line. In our scripture passage here in 1 Peter 2, Jesus is called the cornerstone. The very same cornerstone prophesied about there in Isaiah 28 and also in several other places in the Old and the New Testament. What should this word cornerstone bring to our thoughts and to our understanding as we read it and as we say it? What is the importance and the significance of a cornerstone? While you and I might not be able to fully comprehend the structural significance of a cornerstone as would a trained engineer, we do understand that the cornerstone of a building is important. Important enough to be the very first stone that is laid. And that by the standard that that cornerstone sets, all the remaining portions of the building will be measured. We know that the cornerstone itself must be of the strongest of materials. Because its strength then will define and determine all the other parts of the foundation. Its strength will define how tall that building can be. And how much weight that it can bear. And we know that it must be precisely positioned deep enough to be settled upon solid rocky ground and not upon sinking sand. And the angle and the direction of its sides must be so very precise because it will be the lodestar by which the direction and the positioning of all the other stones in that foundation will be guided. Of all of the stones in the structure, the cornerstone must be the most perfect in all of its ways because as those walls are put into place, even the most minute of flaws at that corner will produce such great error as the roof is set into place. The cornerstone truly is of the greatest of importance. And here, Jesus is said to be the cornerstone the cornerstone of all that exists, both those things that are created and are visible, and also the cornerstone of all those things that are invisible. He is the cornerstone upon which all the realms of God and all the realms of men are built. And that definition of who Jesus is is so well affirmed in just the few words in John 14 where Jesus declares himself to be, I am the way the truth, and the life. 
as our cornerstone, Jesus is the way. He's the direction. He's the plumb line that all of the realms of men must follow. Else the whole structure of mankind will be faulty and will quickly deteriorate and crumble. And we see that taking place every day in the homes and in the businesses and in the nations where Jesus is not their cornerstone. They're deteriorating. They're faulty. They're crumbling. As our cornerstone, Jesus is also the truth. That solid foundation of exact truth. Truth on which all of the realms of heaven and earth are built. And again, if that is not so, then the whole structure begins to deteriorate and crumble. And we see that all throughout the nations of the world, and especially in our own. He's also, as our cornerstone, He is the life. The life, the very fiber of the existence of all the rest of the structure of heaven and earth. Without His life, without His life being the sum and the substance, life does not continue to exist. The commentator Matthew Henry reminds us that Jesus is especially the cornerstone of all things spiritual. All things relating to God and to our relationship with Him. He is the very foundational stone, Matthew Henry says, of all our hopes and our happiness. And He communicates the true knowledge of God. By Him, we have access to the Father. And through Him, we have been made partakers of all spiritual blessing. He is the cornerstone. Now, as foolish as the question might seem to be to you and me who've trusted in Christ for so many years now, the world does not, does not trust in Him. And so the world demands to see credentials, qualifications, educational letters after a person's name before they trust that person. And so they ask, what qualifies Jesus? Why is He so important to be called the very and the only cornerstone of our existence. What qualifies Him to be our cornerstone? Let me say first that Jesus Christ is qualified to be the cornerstone of our existence because He is both the Son of Man and the Son of God. And while you and I may not immediately recognize that reasoning, it is what makes Him worthy Worthy to be called our cornerstone. As the Son of Man, He earned the right, as He gave Himself willingly, to be slain for your and my sins. We're we're told that in Revelation 5. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. You might recall, if you read that portion of the book of Revelation, all of heaven was caught up in grief. Wondering who was worthy to open up the seals of what was going to take place in the end times. No one was found to be worthy except the Lamb. And we read these words then. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Jesus is also worthy to be called our cornerstone because He is the great I Am. The very voice of God that called out from the burning bush to Moses. He is also the creator and the sustainer of all things. Both those things that are visible and all those things invisible. We read about that in John 1 where in verse 2 he says, He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. All things, visible and invisible, 
Nothing that was made was without Him. And in Hebrews 1, Jesus is described as the radiance, the very express image, the exact imprint of God's nature. And He upholds the universe by the power of His Word. Jesus is worthy to be the cornerstone of all existence because He is the Almighty God. The one who upholds. He holds up. He sustains all the realms of heaven and earth every minute of every day. Our earth, even the whole universe, rests upon Him. I'd like for us to spend time on two lengthy portions of the Psalms to further bring out why Jesus is worthy to be our cornerstone. King David in Psalm 104 gives us this image of who Christ is as He goes about creating the whole earth. And I'd like for you to turn there to Psalm 104. And I want us to note as we read these words how He is so very up close, so immediate and intimate to the daily needs of all of us and of all the earth. Psalm 104, if you'd turn there. Beginning in verse 1. O Lord my God, You are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering Yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of His chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds His chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind, and He makes His messengers winds, and His ministers a flaming fire. And then, beginning in verse 5, note the words of creation. He's explaining what took place back there in the book of Genesis at the very beginning. Verse 5, He set the earth on its foundations so that it should never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. You'll recall that in Genesis chapter 1, the Holy Spirit is described as hovering over the deeps. The whole earth was covered with water. Nothing was seen on the earth except the water. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. Verse 7, At your rebuke, at your simple spoken word, at your rebuke, the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. It is so important for us to understand the power that's within this cornerstone, Jesus Christ. He simply spoke to the earth, and those waters fled. And listen to what happens next. The mountains rose, the valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. Note also just how contrary that is to the words of evolution. The mountains rose, the valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary, the firmament. You set a boundary that they may not pass, so that they might not again cover the earth. You recall in Genesis 1 there, where he says that you put a firmament. That is the air that we breathe, going all the way up to that blue part that we see in the sky. That firmament is to separate the waters above, which is the blue part of the sky that you and I look at, from the water here on the earth. Just at His voice, all of that took place. You make springs gush forth in the valley. And note here now, this is the immediate, right now, every moment of every day. 
You make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. He brings water to the animals every day. This is not something that he put into place thousands of years ago. A climactic system that takes care of the animals, takes care of the trees, the grass. This is him bringing forth water daily so that every beast of the field can quench their thirst. Verse 12, Beside them the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. How often do you and I get concerned about the weather and wish that it would rain or wish that it would not rain? God is taking care of this earth and everything on it. From your lofty abode you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. And keep noticing that this is daily. This is not something He put into place. This is what He does each day, each moment of each day. Verse 14, You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth. You realize that as we drive by the potato fields and the bean fields, that it is God's hand that is causing them to grow. Yes, we have to do our part. Yes, those men in the fields that we saw today as we drove by, they're doing their part. But God is the one that brought them to that harvest. That's what he says right here. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth food from the earth, wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, bread to strengthen the man's heart. It's God's immediate hand in all that's taking place. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. In them the birds build their nests. The stork has her home in the fir trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats. The rocks are a refuge for the rock badgers. Folks, God is taking care of the smallest of the animals. They are under his watch care. None of them are unimportant. And so how much more then are we? When I read words like this, the high mountains are for the wild goats and the rocks are a refuge for the rock badgers. I'm reminded of climbing on Mount McKinley. Actually, it was just a portion in Denali Park, but it was a portion of those that mountain range. And I was at the level of the doll sheep, the mountain goats, those wild goats. What a wonderful picture this brings to my mind. It's an artwork that God has created as we travel the trace coming here each Sunday and on the Natchez Trace uh, often. We see God's artwork, this Garden of Eden. All of this earth is still His Garden of Eden. Doesn't look much like it with all the parking lots and all the buildings. But that portion which is left to His care is just beautiful. Verse 19, He makes the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows it's time for setting. You make darkness and it is night when all the beasts of the forest creep about. The young lions, and listen to these next words. The young lion lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. Do you realize what's taking place on the Serengeti right now? 
that the lions, as they walk out there on those fields and they're roaring, all we hear is the roar. But you know what they're doing? They're asking God for their food. They're asking God for their food. Now that sounds really new agey to us, doesn't it? But that's exactly what these scriptures are saying. The young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God, saying, God, bring me a prey, a wildebeest, a gazelle. And we feel so sorry for the gazelle as the lion chases one of them down. But that was God's provision for the lion. Verse 22, when the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in their dens. And then man comes out to his work and he labors until the evening. Verse 24, O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of all your creatures. I'll stop there, but isn't this just a wonderful picture of how God not only created the earth in the beginning, but how he now has a watch care over it all day, every day. All the animals of the field, all of us that reside here. All of the things that you and I are reading about here, they're, it's in the present tense. It's all given in the present tense. Moment by moment, watch care. It's so very, very real and personal and intimate. Now, I'd like to ask us to go to one other psalm. Psalm 139. Turn there, if you will. And I want you and I to now transition a little bit further into this, how this cornerstone of our existence, Christ, is so very intimate to everything that takes place in our life. Psalm 139, beginning in verse 1. Listen to these words carefully. O Lord, you have searched me and you've known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. And you discern my thoughts from afar. Right now, you are thinking things. It may have to do with what we're reading here. Or it may have gone off on some other trip thinking of something else. God knows your exact thought at this moment and every moment, every thought you think. Jesus demonstrated that all through the Gospels. And notice as you read those, it will say, knowing what they were thinking, Jesus said to them. Jesus knew every thought that everyone was thinking all around him. God knows every thought that you and I think. He discerns my thoughts from afar. The word discern has to do with also understanding why I'm thinking what I'm thinking. Whether it's for a good reason or a wrong reason. Whether it's a good thought or an evil thought. He discerns our thoughts. He doesn't just hear them. He discerns what it's all about. You search out my path, my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. As As I walk through this day, as you walk through this day... He is with you on every step of your path. Verse 4. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Before you speak your next word, God knows what that word's going to be. And why you're saying it. He discerns your thoughts. He knows the validity of it. He knows whether or not you're bragging. He knows whether or not you're telling the exact truth or you're bending something a little bit. Before a word is on your tongue... Every word that you'll ever say, He knows about it before you say it. Verse 5, You hem me in behind and before and lay your hands upon me. This is a picture of a father walking along with his toddler. He's got a hand on this side and a hand on this side. And as the toddler toddles along, he is guiding 
that toddler. Hemming that toddler in to keep the toddler safe. And it says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? This may be for a reason or it also simply says there is no place that you and I could ever go to get away from God. Verse 8, if I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the dawn and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand shall hold me. This is this thought of where if you and I dare go off in the wrong direction, let's say we just up and leave town and move to New Jersey. And we're not supposed to do that. We do it for the wrong reasons. He does not abandon us. He goes with us. It says here that even there your hand will lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me will be, will be night. Here's where you're trying to get away from something you've done wrong. Or you want to do wrong. That's, this is where the immorality in marriages take place. Men and women go out into the darkness to meet other men and women. Why? Because they think the darkness will hide them. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day and the darkness is as light to you. You cannot hide in that closet with your computer and look up pornographic websites. You may be hiding from your wife, but you're not hiding from God. Verse 13, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it so well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. He wove your fibers together. He wove you together in your mother's womb. No exception. Every child. No child is an accident. Every child is woven together in their mother's womb by the very hands of God. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. And in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Every day of your life. God was there in the moment that I was born, and He made that determination that I should be knit together in my mother's womb, and I would be born. And He will also determine the day, and it has already been determined, the day that I will die. I will not live one moment longer, or die one moment sooner than what was written for me before I was even formed in my mother's womb. That's how intimate and personal Christ is. That is why He can be our cornerstone. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they'd be more than the sand. I awake and I'm still, and I am still with you. And then these last two verses, and I'm getting running out of time. Last two verses of this chapter is verse 23 and 24. Where we cry out to God, and you and I must get to the point where we daily do this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. This is as intimate and personal as you can get. Search me, O God. I I already know. I just got through reading, Lord, that you know my thoughts already. So search me, and know my heart, know my thoughts. And if any of them have any wrong thing in them, O Lord, lead me in ways of righteousness. 
Folks, this is the cornerstone of our existence. From the first moment that mankind came onto this earth and then daily with you and me now, every moment, He exercises this watch care over us, this intimate watch care over us. He knows, listen, He knows every thought we think, every word we speak, every place we go, everything we do. He was and He is our cornerstone and it is all for a purpose. I have run out of time. I'll close. We'll pick back up right here next week. You and I need to understand who Christ is in us and to us and our relationship to Him. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Let's pray.